Hello and welcome to our first ever postseason edition of Football on the 40. As promised, we will continue to come to you over the next nine months to talk about Texas football and other Longhorn Athletics highlights. I'm Jake Robinson. Joining me are co-hosts Kevin Mathis, Andrew Harris, Bowen Kai, and making the magic happen behind the scenes, our esteemed producer, Hamilton Lizer. With National Signing Day Part 1 just a couple weeks away, there have been some pretty substantial developments regarding some of the biggest name high school seniors. We will get into that shortly. Also, the coaching carousel has been unlike anything we have ever seen in college football, with many of the best programs in the country losing their head coach to another top school. We'll take a look at that as well. But first, with the likely transfer of former number one national recruit, Ohio State quarterback Quinn Ewers to some Texas school, perhaps even before this podcast goes live this week, I have a question for the group. Are you more likely to, to bleach your hair or grow out a mullet? I think it's the mullet for me. I've tried it before, and I feel like I'll try it again at some point in my life. Mullets are cool. Kev, you look good in the mullet. Appreciate that. Thank you. Do you remember the Kev mullet? That was that was a good look. That was a good look. Yeah. I mean, out of all of us in the pod, you definitely pull off the mullet the best. So it means a lot. Quinn pulls it off pretty well, though. Can you all see Jake trying to grow a mullet? I can't. There's there's no way I'm ever growing out a mullet. So I think it I, I think it's it's more likely I bleach my hair in a way that's just I don't know, somehow professional. Interesting. <laughs> Frosted tips. I I don't think I could bleach my hair. I feel like I'd have to have to try mullet. I have no idea how I would look with a mullet, but I just can't imagine bleaching my hair. Be weird. Yeah. That's some good stuff. Good stuff. So on that note, what would it mean for the Texas program if Quinn Ewers ended up coming to Texas? I can go first. I mean, obviously he'd be a huge addition and a pretty big presence on campus. I mean, even we saw like Xavier Worthy, y'all probably saw this today. He like changed his profile picture on Twitter to a picture of Quinn. You know, he's, he's a true talent. You know, folks were going to rally behind him and want to play with him. Although conspiracy Bo, maybe taking some from conspiracy Kev, I, I feel like, I don't know if he's doing some sort of like bait and switch thing. Like, just think about it. Okay. So he graduated early, forego, forego, foregoed his senior year of high school, went to Ohio State, got the bag at Ohio State. Now he's coming back to Texas. And from what Andy told us today, like, sounds like he's kind of leveraging tech to try to get more money from us. Like, is this just going to turn into one of those situations where like, you just pay a ton of money, like maybe he just has no interest in playing football anymore. Like, and he's just trying to use us for more money. I mean, just stay woke guys. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Like this might age poorly, but like, I just, it, it doesn't pass my sniff test. But I think it'd still be a pretty big, obviously a pretty big addition if he if he came on. I I agree. I think it's a, a huge get. And, uh, you know, if he does come to Texas. But I think that we'll look back on it and acknowledge his influence and see that what he really brought us was recruiting momentum this year. Um, 
I think after the season that we have had, we desperately need recruiting momentum in these next few weeks before National Signing Day. And I think if he jumps on the bandwagon, we can add several other major recruits before National Signing Day. I have some doubts about what his on-field impact will be. I have questions about whether he'll even start and how much success he'll have in only, you know, with only a few months to prep in Sark's offense. I think it would be unrealistic to expect that we get him, it's a huge get, and then he just transforms what the offense looks like in year one. So I think it's great for the recruiting class, but I'm not sold that it really changes the way we look on the field this year. Not so fast, my friend, (laughs) trying to pull out my inner corso. Um, But yeah, I just, Kev, I I have to disagree with you there. I like, if he comes to Texas, I think it's kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge with Sark that he's going to start, Um, which I don't know if that's a good thing, but we'll see. Um, But he has talent. I don't think we can argue with that. Um, However, like, he could be, like, similar, maybe not this extreme, but, like, I don't know if y'all know Tate Martell, but he was, like, highly recruited out of high school and basically turned into nothing. And maybe Quinn is a mild version of that. Um, You know, if he does come to Texas, he's going to have a lot of pressure on him. He's He's going to have the weight of the university on him, especially if he starts the first game. And some people really embrace that, um, and some people don't. And if he's not equipped to handle that, you he might know that already, and that could be a reason why he doesn't come to Texas. I'm not saying he is that type of person, um, but that's just like a theory of mine of a reason why he might not want to be um, the main focus at Texas. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm, I'm- – Definitely disagreeing with Kev as well. Um, if he comes to Texas, like, I don't really see one of our current quarterbacks starting next year. I don't know. I just I, – I kind of am with Andy. If he comes, he's, he's likely starting good, bad, or, what, or indifferent on that. But, um, you know, he, he's definitely talented. He's the number one recruit in the country. Um, is he a leader? I don't know. We'll find that out if he ends up coming, but I do think that it would be um, in the words of our former president and perhaps future president, Donald Trump, huge. Um, So I do, I do think that um, as as y'all said, recruiting wise, it'd be massive, but you know, our, our preseason AP poll that we always find a way to get to that 24, 25th place ranking is still up for grads. If Quim comes even a five and seven team, that is Texas could still squeeze into that 24th slot. I think if he comes, we would squeeze into that spot regardless. <laughs> <laughs> always, always know. reserved for us. <laughs> Permanently. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, what, what uh, recruits are we keeping an eye on down the stretch guys? Um, so obviously, and I think other guys in the pod are going to talk about this more. So I'll give the floor to them in a second, but I think O-line depth is the most important thing, and uh, even above Quinn. Um, if we 
are able to pull in some of these guys that are um, that we're going after, I think it could be a big game changer for Sark going forward. Um, maybe not, but I we haven't been good in the last decade, and our offensive line hasn't been good that whole time. So I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, that's a coincidence. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of change my focus. Uh, and go in a different direction. Um, I'm looking at Savion Red. So he's a guy that we offered last week. Uh, he came to Texas this past week, um, this past weekend for an official visit. Um, he's just listed as an athlete. I think he would play receiver. He might not turn out to be anything, um, but from what I've seen and um, online, he's the type of guy that just embodies um, – what you want as a cultural leader in a locker room. And I think we're needing those guys still. And so um, if he does come to Texas, hopefully he does turn into something good. Um, but at the same time, um, even if he doesn't, I just hope he's a leader. So that's a guy I'm looking after. Yeah, I can go next. So and Andy put me on and put us all on. I think to this idea of like this trifecta three. So it's like these three for the more casual listeners. It's like these three offensive linemen, these seniors that are, it doesn't sound like they're all, you know, it's all a package, but they are all, you know, have a desire to play together. So Kelvin Banks, Cam Dewberry and Devin Campbell and I think with all the, with all those three, like we're in the crystal ball for like Kelvin Banks who um, decommitted from Oregon today because of the coach leaving. And then with Cam, there's just been a lot of activity on Twitter with him. I've been following him and he's it's been like teasing Texas. I feel like, I feel like he just gets a lot of engagement from Texas fans. And then Devin Campbell, I'm really not sure. Maybe Andy or Kev, no more there, but I've just been really excited about that because also for like our casual listeners too, like if you've been, you know, hearing at all about like this NIL stuff that Texas has been cooking up, there's been a, a lot of exciting developments. So it's just today, pretty well-timed right before, you know, um, or sorry, right after I think the decommitment from banks, I can't remember if it was before or after, but earlier today we announced um, this horns with hearts nonprofit that we that was started which will pay every offensive lineman on scholarship 50k a year to participate and um, you know promote their favorite charity and then there was also a kind of you can call it like a venture fund called the Clark Field Collective that was um, announced just a week or so ago that's also going to help funnel money into the programs and two of the players so with those I think it's pretty exciting to see how we're going to really leverage just extreme wealth that we have to, to, you know, get talent. So excited to, you know, keep an eye on, on how, how that comes together. I'm also like Andrew and Bowen looking mostly at offensive line. And this hasn't really changed for me since Quinn Ewers news about potentially getting him as a transfer. Um, not much to add in terms of specific players. I think Devin Campbell and Kelvin Banks would be massive, massive gets for us. And I think either of those two would have more on-field impact in year one than Quinn would. 
like Andrew said, and we talked about it several times over the course of the season, our offensive line just isn't good enough for consistent offensive play over the course of four quarters or an entire season. And it's been that way for a while. Um, and it's, it's a really unfortunate spot on your team to have weak talent and weak on-field productivity because it decreases or diminishes the value of all the skill player talent that we always have had on offense. If there's no pocket, your five-star quarterback's going to look like trash and your highly rated four-star, five-star recruits running routes are never going to catch balls. And I think that has contributed to our, our bust rate, like our highly recruited players that don't end up in the NFL. And it, it kind of all stems from bad offensive line play. So my perspective on this recruiting class has been shaped by that for months now that, yeah, these athletes are cool and watching their high school tape is fun. We know that without stronger offensive line, they're not going to have similar highlights at Texas. So I'm rooting harder for Devin Campbell and Kelvin Banks than I am for Quinn, to be honest. And I would be super happy if we landed either of them or, or both of them. I I agree. I, I, I do think that the line is going to be the biggest factor on in terms of this recruiting class in a year to where we're at. Um, in the last few days, a few players have announced that they are returning to the horns. Um, Overshone and Jameson and then today Coburn have all said that they are returning back for another season. So I guess my question to y'all is which returning player will make the biggest impact next season? I think it's Overshone. Um, our run defense needs a lot of help and he's going to be a huge part of that. And he seems to be, you know, a solid leadership figure on our defense. Um, so I think it's close between he and Jamison who had sort of an off year. If we remember last season, Jamison had a ton of super athletic highlights and it felt like more highlight interceptions than he did this season. He did have a few, you know, cool special teams plays, but I thought he had a down year overall. So part of me is wondering where, where the urge is coming from for these guys to return. Like, is it because our defense played so poorly this year, they didn't have tape really to make it in the NFL? Um, or is it because, you know, they're angry and motivated to improve and come back next season strong? So um, I don't know if I would want it to be either or, but I, I wonder if it's them, you know, wanting to make the team better or them just feeling like they need, they need another year under their belt to be able to get drafted. But Regardless of okay. that, I'm super thankful that we have these guys coming back, including including Keandre Coburn, who's going to be he's going to be very helpful too. But but those don't have to be mutually exclusive either. I mean, no. a lot of times players come back wanting to you know improve their stock, but also they care a lot about the team and the university, and they want to see it move in the right direction. So I'm sure it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think I agree with Kevin. I don't know how much more I have to add. I think I agree with Overshone more. Definitely need more help in the trenches. I did have a question though. Like, I actually don't know. Do we have like a, like a QB on the defense this year? Like who was that for us? 
do we, do we even have one that like changes, you know, plays, changes coverages or in college, is it mostly like looking to the sidelines? That's just a question. I actually don't know. Like, did we have one this year? My understanding it was Overshone, but I it was him. Wrong. Okay. I, so the, it, I, I, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent. So like, I, it seems like, it seems like it was him too, from my understanding, but I, I honestly don't know, but I do feel like another year of learning the scheme hopefully will help with some of these adjustments because from my limited understanding of like the PK defense, it's like it requires a pretty like cerebral approach to the game where you, you have like, you need to be able to make adjustments and kind of understand what, what you're seeing out there. Um, so hopefully like, you know, being able to have some more reps there will, will help and in, in seeing different things. And I agree with Kev. I, I feel like, you know, I do hope that Jamison does have a bounce back year. I was looking at some stats while prepping and, he didn't have a single return touchdown this entire year. I mean, he had one early in the season that was like called back on, I think a hold, but it was interesting looking at the stats. It's like, yeah, he really didn't have that much production. So yeah, I'm hoping they can, they can bounce back. Um, Andy, what about you? What do you think? You know, I was going to say overshone as well. Um, I, I think he's the easy answer. Um, but with Coburn coming back today and just being different, I'm going to go with Coburn. You know, games are often won by your offensive line and defensive line. And he's been a solid contributor for the Horns the last few years. Um, but, you know, if he can step it up a gear, I think that could be um, – it could be really beneficial for the Horns going forward, especially with a rush D. So, um I hope that's the case, and if if that is, I think he could have a bigger impact. Um, similar, not not as much as Puna Ford, but kind of what Puna Ford did for the 2017 defense. I think Coburn, maybe maybe Brian Murphy or someone else on the defensive line, if they could have that role on the defense, that could um, that could make our defense a lot better next year. Good stuff. Good stuff, guys. All right. We're going to move into um, a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll get into the coaching carousel. So we'll be right back. And we're back. Uh, so I didn't tell the guys this and feeling a little happy today because it's the seventh year anniversary of when I met my wife. So going to brag on myself for a little um, but, you know, while feeling happy about that, also feeling happy about OU's misery of Lincoln Riley going to Southern California. So I think some of the guys found some tweets from OU fans that are pretty interesting. So, uh, Kev, you want to take it away? Yeah, we're looking at replies here on the ESPN breaking news that Lincoln was leaving OU for USC, making it official. Um, so I'll just do a quick rundown of my favorite uh, tweets replying to ESPN here. Uh, this one's from a Sooner fan, definitely. They said, that called quitting when you can't get the job down. Not much to add. Grammar is on point there. And that is on brand for the OU fan base. Another one here from Drew. Not a tough call. Do I want to live in SoCal or Podunk, Nebraska? Now that one I can appreciate because I've lived in Oklahoma and have talked at length about how it sucked, but calling Oklahoma, Nebraska is 
a pretty low blow, low blow. And then my personal favorite here, I think this comes from a message board, so we're off the ESPN tweet now. Um, the question on this message board was, who's worse, Lincoln Riley or Satan? And Sooner Bro listed out five re- reasons that Lincoln Riley is worse than Satan. So listen to these five. Number one, Satan doesn't hide who he is, so you know what you're getting. Number two, Satan isn't afraid of competition. Three, even though they are both damned to hell at this point, Satan is less whiny. Ouch. Number four, Satan is more decisive. And my personal favorite, number five, Satan wouldn't live in California. (laughs) What do we think of those? (laughs) That's amazing. I think number three was my favorite. Satan is less whiny. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but lots lots to joke about. Part of me feels sad for the Sooners, but um I'm what, looking what forward. part what part of you is that? Uh, the part of me Not, that I'm loving it. <laughs> the part of me that realizes that this trend is going to boomerang. We're laughing now, but if Sark wins nine games next season, like we need to be ready to double his salary or he will leave. Because uh, this is the first time that we've seen a trend of head coaches of blue chip programs like leaving of their own will to get way more money. Um, so the, the coaching is a very competitive gig these days. And I think like we should root for a 10-11 win season, but we need to be ready for this to happen to us. <laughs> we have the money, though. Yeah, we have the money. We have Austin. It's it's a lot different than where these coaches are leaving. Yeah, Nebraska. If, if is Texas, tough. if Texas gets to winning that that level of games, Texas is easily one of the best programs in the country to go coach at. Like everything that comes with it. So I, I don't know. If but you're you're talking about Lincoln Riley leaving a program that's gone to like three quarters of the college football playoffs. Yeah, but he doesn't think he can go further. I think that's why he's leaving. Yeah. And and yeah, it has been rumored that he doesn't want to go to the SEC, and so he was getting out because he thought his chances of winning were greater elsewhere. And then an- another part of me is excited because I think I want to see like a West Coast challenger to the SEC dominance. I think that's good for the game, and there's apparently a ton of talent in Southern California. So – I think a great USC program is good for college po- college football. I agree with that. Definitely agree, Kev. Act 12 after dark, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so how are we feeling about some of the other coaching hires? Uh, talked about Lincoln to um, USC. Brian Kelly, Notre Dame coach to LSU. Um, Brent Venables, if you want to talk about him going to OU from Clemson's defensive coordinator. Mario Cristobal leaving Oregon today um, for Miami. That one, um, I guess, like, for me, that kind of makes sense in their own ways, but they're also just massive turnovers at huge programs um, this season, unlike we've ever seen before. So, I don't know. What are, what are y'all's thoughts? I think I'll comment on Venables really quick. So, um Living in Oklahoma for a while, I became friends with a lot of Kansas State fans, and they're a passionate fan base, and they're also, um, they love Brent Venables, and they wanted him to come be the head coach of their program, uh, 
a few years ago when when that job came open. Um, KSU fans right now are saying, you know, you're welcome to OU fans for Venables. And I think it's a hire that makes sense, but we talked about this a little bit in our group text that OU's talent right now doesn't align very well with what Venables wants to do on the field. He's a defensive mind. And for like six years, OU has recruited with a strategy in mind that they're going to win games and championships with offense only. And they've had notable struggles for, you know, the last, years on defense and on the defensive side of the ball um their their defensive line is really really good um but i don't think their defense has enough depth to win games like venables wants them to so i'm not expecting him to have you know a ton of success in his first couple years until he can turn over that roster and build the team with talent and bodies that fit his you know his scheme yeah, Kev, I definitely agree. I, I, I mean, all these OU fans are just super excited um, about Venables, and I don't know. Um, you, it, it's always fun to get a familiar face, but I just don't see him winning ten plus games on a regular basis. I'm not saying he can't. Obviously, he's a good coach. Um, he did great at OU before. Um, for a period of time and did really great at Clemson as a defensive coordinator. So he's not a bad coach by any means. But at OU, they're going to be expecting him to win 10, 11 games as a floor. And if he kind of comes out the gates, wins eight games next year, nine games, that's not going to cut it for OU fans. So um, I just I just think he's kind of in the seven, eight, nine win range coach on a consistent basis, and I OU fans for a while have not experienced that. Um, so I think that's going to be really interesting if that does play out um, the way it does. Um, yeah, Kelly to LSU really does kind of interest me. Um, obviously, I think we saw last week uh, how he's culturally not a fit with his fake Southern accent. Um, pretty bad. Um, but you know, he's, he's been a winner every single place he's been at Cincinnati. He almost took them to the national championship, uh, at Notre Dame. He is the winningest coach ever at Notre Dame, which is crazy. Uh, just knowing that just the great coaches they've had there, uh, throughout the years and he's won the most games there. So, um, you can't deny that he's a winner, um, can he take LSU to the mountaintop again? You know, the last three coaches have. So um, four LSU have done that. So you would think he probably could. But it's going to be really interesting to see how the, his culture that he's bringing, it, uh, bringing to LSU um, impacts him going forward. And then I don't care too much about the Chris Ball going to Miami other than the two O line recruits that we might get because of it. So thank you, Mario, for, for going to Miami. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I was going to talk about Brian Kelly a little bit too, but you kind of hit on everything that I was. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll talk a little bit about the Mario Cristobal move. Um, that's kind of crazy to be leaving Oregon 
in the shape that it, I mean, it's, it's in a pretty good shape as a program to go to Miami, but he's from there. His mother still lives there. Um, I heard today that Miami is paying out that. Well, it was also kind of weird. Miami was going after Chris Paul before they fired Manny Diaz. So like if they couldn't get him, they Manny Diaz is pretty much the decision they'd made. So they they have to, they had to pay, um, I believe it was $8 million to fire Manny Diaz, pay out of his contract. $9 million to buy out Cristobal's contract at Oregon and um, match the eight, I think it's like eight or 9 million per year that Oregon had offered him to stay. So it's, I think it's like over $80 million contract that he just agreed to in Miami. Um, also interesting thing I heard today, one of the billionaires in Miami said that he's pledging to build a campus, uh, build a brand new stadium on campus in uh Coral Gables, which is actually a really big deal because they they have to drive a long way to get to games right now, and students aren't involved. And so I, I, this could be really big for the Miami program. Um, I know we don't talk about other programs that much on here, um, but but I, I think that's a, a really interesting move, uh, to say the least. And we're not done uh, with these coaching moves. Like, with all these big programs um, losing their coaches – it opens a spot at the big program, but then it's going to be filled by a middle program who's then going to lose their coach. And it, this is going to continue for several weeks. I heard something pretty, um, pretty substantial just this evening on, on the radio. They said that 15 bowl teams are coachless right now are getting a new coach. 15 of the roughly 80, I guess it's 86 bowl teams don't have a coach or are getting a new coach. Their coach has been fired or leaving. It's crazy. Dang, that's crazy. Okay, so I, I was actually planning on skipping this section, but then, like, you mentioning that, Jake, it's kind of like, have y'all, have y'all heard on, like, LinkedIn, this, like, this idea of, like, the great resignation with all the COVID stuff? The college football landscape is also privy to this great resignation. I mean, it's, I guess it's kind of just all, all industries are just transitioning, so, so that's very interesting to see. That's a, that's a cool stat. It's, major turnover like we have never seen and like i mentioned it's scary to me because it's major blue blood blue blood programs that are being left in the dust by their coaches so who knows maybe it presents an opportunity for us with a coach starting his second year and and the rest of the college football landscape for the most part either had a bad season or lost their coach maybe it is an opportunity one more that i want to mention here that didn't make a lot of news, but we can tie this back to our season is we started the season against Louisiana, the raging Cajuns. And before week one, we were all maybe confident, but pretty concerned for game one. And that was colored by our experiences against Maryland and starting seasons poorly. But Louisiana was a big team coming into Austin with a great head coach in Billy Napier that we were worried about. Uh, We won that game, but Louisiana actually went undefeated after they beat us or after we beat them in Austin, they went 12 and one and won the Sun Belt. And when I was doing research on Billy before, uh, before the first game, the kind of bit on him is like, he's just a Louisiana guy. He's kind of a quiet guy. He'll never leave the raging Cajuns. And he feels like he, he feels like he can build something there develop young men and have success for his career, like his family settled. So when I saw that he left for Florida, 
I was extremely surprised. And I think it's a really good hire for Florida. So overall, I think like the best, the, the schools that are going to come out of this the best initially are Florida with Billy Napier and LSU with Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly's easy to make fun of and has become like a meme, but like Andy said, he has had success everywhere he's gone and he's, he's going to figure it out at LSU. Yeah, I don't know if y'all watched the Sun Belt game. Probably not much of it because it was on the same time as Alabama Georgia was. Me, it was very important to my Pickham uh, success. That was the the most important game of the day for me, and so I was watching it. Uh, but the fans love him. Like he's leaving, but there were fans like with signs supporting him, and they had like a big like ceremony before, and and nobody was mad that he's leaving. Like obviously they don't want him to leave, but they knew he would at some point, and like. That's kind of, and it was cool because he was like, Florida, I'm not coming until after this conference championship, like no matter what. And so that's pretty cool. That's cool. I didn't know he co- he actually coached the game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. He had, I think he, 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 it was contingent. His acceptance was contingent on starting the Sunday after the conference championship game. So, okay. I think that wraps that up. Uh, one more, one more question I have for y'all in this coaching carousel segment. Um, it, it's looking more and more likely that Gary Patterson, former TCU head coach who dominated us over the last twin 11 years, um, will possibly join the Longhorns as an analyst or perhaps some other greater position on defense. Um, what are our thoughts? Or is this significant or just kind of eh? Um, I'll go first and then I'll hand it over to y'all. I, I think it would be pretty big deal. Um, I, I honestly, I whatever comes of it, whether it's as an analyst or if that means he's defensive coordinator with the demotion of PK or firing, or I really, I really don't care. Like I'm, I'm, I'm at the point where not pro turnover, but also just kind of let Sark do his thing. I've, I've said it on here and I've, I've, I feel this way. I've, whatever he thinks is best for the program. I'm, I'm not going to be calling for any kind of firings for a while. So if this is, I think it's good for the program. Um, we'll see if we'll see at what level Crystal Conti, who's the former athletic director at TCU um, and Sark think about bringing Gary Patterson, what role and whether he'll like it down here in Austin. Yeah. I, I feel like he would definitely be, you know, impactful. He's, obviously got a huge you know defensive mind and a ton of experience I do worry if he comes in as an analyst what that would do for like the the dynamics I I I feel like he would he may be okay with PK being in charge but I just feel like people might just start looking to him as like the de facto defensive coordinator if it feels like we have two you know kind of co- DCs or co-CEOs on the defensive side, that would be pretty problematic for the, um, you know, the human element. So I don't know. I think it would be, I think it would be pretty significant either way though. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good point though. Um, you don't, you know, it, it could undermine PK um, and, you know, maybe some horns want that to happen, but that definitely could be um, a result of Harrison coming to Texas. I, you know, if it does happen, I, um, 
I, I think it has the potential to be a good move, even if it's just an analyst. You know, analysts are typically not super impactful. Um, but, you know, it gives us a security blanket if PK doesn't turn out um, too well at the beginning of the year. You know, we could hopefully this doesn't happen, but if PK starts off slow, we give up 50 to Bama. You know, you could maybe nudge, nudge PK out the door and bring in Patterson to be the DC. Um, and you don't have to kind of start from ground zero. Um, I don't know. I don't know if, if that would be the best thing in the world, but um, I do think Patterson would provide a nice security blanket for us. But Andy, I think, I think if that's our mindset and I, and I, and I don't think you're the only one thinking that I think that a lot of people would look at it this way. Why not just make the firing now? Why not just bring him in now if if that's probably what's going to happen anyway? Right. I mean, I don't disagree with you on that. I just don't think PK is going anywhere at this point. So I guess yeah. it's more of me just kind of looking at it, at a, what's probably going to happen versus what I think should happen. Fair, fair. And I'm of the mind, like, I don't care how it happens. I want PK to get fired. And would love for Gary Patterson to step in and fill his shoes. Um, I think the questions you raise about chemistry and the human element um, are important and super relevant, Bowen. If it, it's got to be hard for a head coach to be fired and then show up on another staff in a completely different role in the next year. So that could definitely be a factor. But I've also read some things indicating that Patterson kind of wanted a year off. So he might be coming, you know, he might be interested in the opportunity at Texas because it would give him that ability to join a new staff and have less responsibility for a year. Um, I think it would be, you know, in his career, a nice leapfrog year if he wanted to get back into head, head coaching after being on the Texas staff for a year. But I think, um, Another factor to this is, you know, our our athletic director, Chris Delcani, clearly has a relationship with Gary Patterson and can probably bring him in. They worked together really closely at TCU when Delcani was there. So maybe there's something to that angle as well. But I'd, I'm just rooting for it to result eventually in the firing of, of PK. Uh, that's where I'm at. <laughs> Dan Kev, you're really taking a hardline stance on this. That is a good point about his relationship with CDC, though. Um, I did see that. It kind of reminds me of like, you know, you talking about like the gap year and everything. Kind of, kind of reminds me of some of the tweets we were seeing about like all these coaching openings. Like, oh, is you know, is Tom Herman going to come in? And then like all these people are like, Tom Herman is getting paid six mil from Texas to be an analyst right now. He's chilling. Like, I if I was Tom Herman, I would not be even picking up the phone for, for the next year. Like I'm, I would just be chilling hard for sure. Yeah. But it's, it's in their blood. They want yeah. it. It's true. All right. That's, that's a, uh, that was good. I like that. I actually learned some from that too. So thank y'all there. Uh, we're going to move into our um, final big segment here. We're going to talk a little bit about the postseason. Of course, Texas is not participating in this year's postseason, but we will uh, talk about some of the games nonetheless. Nonetheless, uh, first, what non-playoff bowl game are you most excited about, Kevin? 
I'm excited about the Cheez-It Bowl, initially because the name of this bowl just lends itself to jokes. This is the bowl that you, you know, you lose two of your first four games and you say, oh God, I hope we at least make the Cheez-It Bowl. Um, so it's fun because of that. And if you look at the lineup in this bowl game, Iowa State is getting a chance to play Dabo Sweeney's Clemson after a disappointing year in the ACC. Um, I'm going to be rooting so hard for Matt Campbell to get the W against Dabo. I think I looked at the line right now. Clemson is only favored by one and has, it has all the makings of like a surprise beat down for how disappointing a season Clemson had. I think it would be huge for Iowa state to beat that brand, regardless of what the bowl is called or what chip or snack it's named after. Um, and I think they have a legitimate shot because Clemson's probably going to have athletes sitting out of that game and they're not going to care and it would just be pretty cool and fun to watch a team like Iowa State taking on that bright orange that we've seen in the college football playoff so much recently and just beating them down in a bowl game that doesn't matter. Bowen what do you think? Yeah I don't know I feel like Jake was saying not really looking forward to bowl season since we're not participating. I put like a whole APR tracker together and was really keeping track of like all the scenarios in which we could make a bowl. So I was, I was pretty bummed to, you know, it was an outside shot anyway. Um, but if I had to pick one, I mean, I think, I think some others are picking this too. I think Jake might pick this one too, but the Alamo seem the Alamo bowl seems cool because um, you know, we both have OU and Oregon to thank for some new blood on the 40 acres. So might as well give them a, you know, a rating slash view for the bowl game to, to throw them a bone and give them, give them some, uh, give them some airtime. Yeah. I'm going to go off on a little bit of a rant here. Um, I'm sick of bowl season. Let's expand the playoff already. Um, Here's a few of the bowls that almost nobody cares about. We've got the Duke's Mayo Bowl or the Guaranteed Rate Bowl. Or because 41 bowls weren't enough, the newly created 42nd Bowl that Wikipedia is calling the 2021 Unnamed Texas Bowl, which certainly cannot be confused with Bowen's favorite, the actual Texas Bowl, featuring Coach O's 6-6 six and six, uh, LSU and 7-5 and five Kansas State, riveting stuff there. But if I must pick one, I will go with the Alamo Bowl. It is the it it it's a little I'm a little interested to see uh, who shows up between OU and Oregon. Both of the teams had hopes of making the playoff, and now OU has been relegated to a non New Year Six bowl for the first time in a very long time. Um, their coach quit, and they have their worst bowl in years. You'll love to see it. But I do say kudos to you, City of San Antonio Convention and Visitor Visitors Bureau. You uh, you should be proud to have two of the biggest names who don't want to be there come down to San Antonio this year. Oh, for a second, for a second, I thought I thought you were about to tell us that it was called the Wikipedia Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, if y'all don't follow the Duke's Mayo Bowl Twitter account, you should. It's actually a pretty good follow. Um, it is funny. <laughs> Um, yeah, they, they actually do a pretty good job, but, um, yeah, no, 
I mean, we can go on and on about the bowl season and just how uninspiring it is nowadays. But, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to the Liberty Bowl. Um, Mississippi State is playing Tech, and it's going to be the first time Leach has played Tech since he got wrongly fired, in my opinion. And uh, it's definitely his opinion, too. He thinks Tech still owes them some money. Uh, so, you know, Leach is really going to want to win that one. I think they should be favored for sure. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, see that game. The rest of the bowl games, I'm sure I'll watch some of them, but not not super excited. All right. That wraps that up. We're going to move into our last question here. What are your predictions for the college football playoff? I think I was the only one that was really wanting Michigan as the one seed and maybe Georgia dropping down to four. I know that they weren't going to do that. I, or I knew that they weren't going to do a, a rematch um, for the first round of the playoff, but we're just, I feel like we're just going to get another SEC matchup in the final, which will be fun. I suppose, or boring. I will probably, I'm probably riding on Bama the whole way though. I mean, they've, they've been good to us in postseason play. So I'm just going to stick with them most likely. You got to feed the fam one way or another. Um, yeah, going to have a mortgage to pay, you know, got to pay that <laughs> somehow. That's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to bet against Bama. I do think, you know, this is definitely, uh, you know, just kind of reaction off of the most recent games. But I do think Michigan is super hot right now. Georgia obviously played their worst game of the year. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if Michigan won. And so I'm, I'm going to go with a Bama-Michigan final which is just kind of crazy for me to think about, especially where Michigan was last year. So maybe that gives us hope going forward. Um, but, um, yeah, you can't bet against Bama, unfortunately. Um, I hope there's a new winner this year, but I just don't see it. And you guys said it, Bama, betting against Bama is not how you feed the kids. Uh, but with that, I could see the Cincinnati team beating Alabama. I think college football is uh, really influenced by quarterbacks and Desmond Ritter at Cincinnati has had an amazing season. And I could see him just having kind of like a Tebow moment and playing really well in this first game against Alabama and beating them. Still, I know that they played so well against Georgia and, and just beat them down in um, in Atlanta for the SEC championship game. But I'm thinking a lot about that Alabama-Auburn game. I know it was, um, you know, like a weird rivalry game for them, but Alabama just didn't play well against Auburn. Um, and I, I could see them having another dud against Cincinnati and us potentially getting a group of five team in the final. So my pick is that we'll see Cincinnati and Georgia in the final and that Georgia will will win the championship this year. Aside from last week, Georgia pretty much every week of the season has looked like the number one team in the country. So I, I think that they're going to roll pretty smoothly through these two games and, and win a championship. 
Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, Bama, Bama was, what was it? Fourth overtime is what it took them to beat Auburn two weeks ago. Yeah. I don't know if y'all saw it. I'm sure you did, but Nick Saban's press conference after the win against Georgia was hilarious. He, uh, about rat poison and I'm not going to, I can't quote it directly, but it was, it was hilarious. Thank you for the rat poison. Yeah. He was like, thank you for the rat poison. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's fatal, but, but this poison was yummy. And it's just, <laughs> it's just a really funny, it's a really funny quote um, about how, thank you for making us the underdog. That's exactly what our team needed. Um, that being said, like Bama was a couple plays away from losing three or four games this year. So I, I, I know they showed up for, um, for Georgia and props to them. I do think, I do think that, um, and what will surprise almost nobody, Alabama probably throttles Cincinnati. Um, I mean, Kevin mentioned Desmond Ritter. I like him. He's a great guy. He's a good quarterback, but Alabama also has the future Heisman winner (laughs) as their quarterback. So um, I think Bama, Bama, who is opening as a two touchdown favorite over Cincinnati will take care of them. Uh, sadly, I will be pulling for the Bearcats for sure. And then Georgia also beats Michigan. Uh, I do think Georgia beats Bama in a much lower scoring game um, in the national championship. So is predicting. final question here. Is the Alabama quarterback a lock to win the Heisman at this point? Is there anyone else on the ballot that could even challenge that guy? They announced the finalists today. And in my opinion, no. He's gonna run away. He's a he's a pretty heavy heavy favorite. I'm looking at the. He was the favorite going into the SEC championship, and he had an amazing performance. Yeah, it's C.J. Stroud, Ohio State. I can't imagine that he's gonna beat him. And then um, Kenny Pickett. uh, Kenny Pickett is who I would I would want to win it. He's he's good at Pittsburgh. They turned that program around. Oh, he's the guy with the fake slide, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was that was awesome. I also need that game to roll. happen for me to win my pool. But um, and then and then a Michigan uh, defensive end, I believe. I don't know. Yeah, don't, Aiden Aiden Hutchinson. Hutchinson? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Aiden, oh, that guy was super good. good. Those are the four so finalists. Good. So if they want to give it to a defensive guy, but I don't think so. I think it's gonna be Bryce. Young. I mean, Bryce Young. I just looked at it. Bryce Young is minus three thousand. So he's no, he's, he's gonna, gonna win the lock. I, it'll be yeah. interesting to see what he does for his speech. He seems like such a quiet guy. I can't. I, I don't think that's going to be an entertaining speech. But <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, the last time, uh, if Georgia Bama does happen, um, the last time they met in the final, Kevin and I got a, a noise complaint at my apartment complex <laughs> because of that game. So uh, hoping that doesn't happen. Well, I don't. Neither one of us lives in an apartment now, but it would take a lot of noise to get a noise complaint at your house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, oh man. All right, that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we will be back during this off season at different intervals, and um, certainly to talk more recruiting as the weeks go forward. But for now, that's all we've got. We'll see you on the next Football on the 40. Hook them.